this morning and over these next several weeks about the subject of money. That bluntly, money. And you can relax. I'm not going to ask to borrow any this morning, nor am I planning to beat you up over how you may be spending it. I'm in that struggle with you. But I just want to think with you about this very important topic uh, during this month ahead. Uh, Most of us, I think, are conscious of the extent to which money matters dominate our time and our energies. Uh, We work and we worry over our bills. I was just doing it last night uh, over the bills. Uh, We check our portfolios. We write budget plans and spending reports. We visit the ATM and the investment seminars and the cable um, uh, money shows. We dole out money, it seems, in painful amounts everywhere to our kids and to the government and to charitable concerns and to our creditors. And we check the labels as we go into stores to see if we can really afford this item. Or we look, check the labels to see if we would have been smarter to have bought it there instead of over that place where we did buy it. And we watch the spending patterns of our neighbors and we wonder how they can afford those things. We wonder if we can find a job that pays more money. If we wonder how we can raise kids that can make some money. We wonder what we'll do about money if we don't have a job at all. Can any of you relate to any of these subjects? I mean... Money matters, right? Money matters to us. It may not be all that makes the world go round, but money is certainly an important part of the turning process, isn't it? What is money? What really is money? Well, money is the medium of exchange that we have established in order to share our resources with one another. Money is the standard of payment that we use to employ people, uh, to feed and shelter and educate and clothe and heal people. Money is a measure of value. It's a way that we declare what we think something is worth or what we wish it were worth or want other people to consider it worth. Money is a means of, of storing up wealth so it doesn't go away, so it doesn't spoil, so that we can use it on, an, on another day than when it was originally generated. And money is also a universally recognized sign of power. It's a symbol of real or potential influence. In other words, if you ever meet somebody who says to you, oh, you shouldn't think about money, that's far too materialistic, run the other way. Because that person is either living in la-la land or is setting you up to take your money. Money matters. Money matters not just to us. Money matters to God. In fact, we know this because of how much the Bible talks about money. Do you know that 16 out of the 38 parables of Jesus concern the use of money and possessions and our attitude towards those things? 16 out of the 38 parables of Jesus. The Bible gives us some 400 verses on the subject of faith. It gives us some 500 verses on the topic of prayer. But do you realize that it gives us more than 2,350 verses on how to view and handle money and possessions? It's a major theme of the Bible. Why do you think that is? Well, the short answer is the Bible teaches a lot about money 
Because God cares a lot about the well-being of people. And God knows that, that the way we view and use money is very closely aligned to well-being for life on this earth. He knows that money, whether it gets viewed and used well or gets viewed and managed badly, profoundly affects the well-being of people. And that is why God takes great pains, I think, to provide clear principles and practices to guide us in this particular arena of life. And over these next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at these instructions. How does God look at the subject of money itself? And how does he look at at debt and savings and investments and giving and all of these topics? What practical guidance does God give us on these things? Today, I want to just lay the groundwork for that greater adventure ahead by suggesting that most people live with one of three basic orientations toward money. Okay? Now, I'm just going to say this at the start. I'm going to give you these three basic orientations. Nobody lives in any one of these orientations all the time. Okay? You're going to find that, that, you, that you're going to see aspects of yourself in each one of these orientations. But most of us tend to come out of one of these places more often than not, Uh, depending on the season or the nature of our personality. Um, The first of these these mindsets, uh, or let me just back up and say, all of the mindsets that we're going to look at can be characterized by how we respond to or answer or fill in the blank on these particular dimensions of life that you see up on on the screen. Uh, these orientations can be characterized by how I fundamentally view possessions, how I respond to the idea possessions are fill in the blank. Uh, The orientation I hold can be characterized by the mindset that I bring to working for money or working with money. It can be characterized by the way that I define goodness or godliness or badness or ungodliness uh, in relationship to money. Uh, whether I, how I define other people in relationship to money. Uh, it can be looked at in terms of the reason I give my money away. I give because, or I give for, and, and money can also be understood in terms of how I go about my spending decisions. The, the, the various orientations are basically separated by how they come at these particular dimensions of viewing and handling money. So I want to ask you, as I lay these out, see if you can find yourself here. See if you resonate with any one of these characterizations as I unpack them. Now, interestingly enough, each one of these mindsets that we're going to be looking at has at least some biblical basis to it. Even if the person who holds this mindset uh, never reads the Bible, doesn't even believe in God, they still are, are, are giving voice in their life to one of, of, of a set of mindsets that have some biblical underpinning to it. And the first orientation Howard Dayton calls the poverty mindset. The poverty mindset. It can be summed up by the biblical statement that the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. How many of you folks have have inscribed those words on your credit cards? How many of you think maybe you should? Um, Now, there's something to be said for this view. Uh, Let me just start out and say there's something to be said for this view. We know that all kinds of evil can spring from being overly eager for money. I mean, we do know that. Hello, Bernie Madoff, right? 
I mean, we don't need a lot of, of illustration on this top topic. We've seen pe- people become so obsessed with money, with, uh, with getting more and more of it, that they ignore or violate the basic rules and relationships of life to their ruination and the ruination of other people. I, I lived, some of you know this, I lived for a number of years in the wealthiest community per capita in America, uh, in Southern California. And this particular community was just, I just cannot tell you how money flowed uh, in this community. And the children of this community, in many cases, were ruined by it. They, they, did, they failed to develop an adequate earth work ethic around it. They, they failed to develop a sense of value around it. They, in many cases, became arrogant or lazy or, or worse. You remember Toby, right? Um, money can be a ruinous, a ruinous thing in, in, in some people's lives. When the Bible says that because of the love of money, some people have pierced themselves with many griefs, we we know this to be true. We've seen fights over money destroy business partnerships. We've seen uh, struggles over money destroy neighbor relationships and ruin marriages. Uh, Money is immensely powerful. It It can buy you all kinds of extraordinary things. Money can buy you the admiration of other people, at least for a season. It really can do it. It, it. it can buy you all kinds of apparent securities. It, it can buy you a phenomenal list of products and pleasures. Money is like an addictive drug. And I have felt it myself. I have felt the effects of it. This is why John D. Rockefeller, the, the billionaire industrialist, when once asked how much money is enough, answered, just a little more. Just a little more. No wonder many people with a lot of money wander from the faith, as the text said to us. Money can, frankly, take the place of God in your life if you're not careful. Uh, it can do that unconsciously. In many cases, it has already for some of us. The chasing after what money can buy can become the primarily, primary passion of our life. Money is God's chief rival for man's affection. People tend to put their faith their primary hope for joy, security, meaning, fulfillment, either in what money buys or in what God gives. Uh, it's the chief rival with God. We tend to get our primary security, joy, sense of power from the material world or from the spiritual world. We set our ambition on getting closer to more money or getting closer to more God. And while these things can can live in relationship with each other, the danger is that we tip too hard in this money direction. This is what Jesus is getting at when he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the the one and despise the other. Money and God can be rivals uh, in some ways. You cannot serve both God and money, says Jesus. And in fact, in those words, the actual word for money that he employs is the word mammon, which is a personification word, a personification of money. A better translation of the text is, you cannot serve both God and the money God. Because money is like a God. It demands devotion. It brooks no rivals. It asks for more and more of us. And this is why Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I know rich people who regularly 
thread that needle, but it's only because God has become so large in them, such a dominating influence in their lives, that the money God is correspondingly small in them. So, people who have what's been called the poverty mindset, they often take these very important biblical principles that I've just described to an extreme. Uh, They become the dominant things in their life. They conclude that possessions in themselves are evil. That material possessions are basically bad. They suggest that we should only work. Because money is so dangerous, it's so prone to take over our lives, we should only work to get enough money to meet basic needs. In other words, to survive. They, They believe that material poverty is actually essential to goodness. In other words, you can't truly be good or truly godly if you're not living pretty close to the poverty standard and that conversely, wealth is an obvious sign of not-so-goodness. You've sold it out. You've sold out to the man. You've sold out to wealth uh, if you have a lot of money and that's not good. You can't be good. When people with this mindset give money away, it is often with a sense of duty or obligation or, in some cases, self-righteousness. Uh, they, has, they have a sense, I must give away. I must or should do this in order to be righteous. And therefore, their spending of money is colored with little real joy, little real gratitude for what gifts they may have. And they will live often with this ascetic sense, this sense of scarcity. And they believe this asceticism is virtue. Defined. And you get the feeling sometimes when you run into somebody with the poverty mindset about money that it is far more about them than it is about the nature of this God who has shown himself to be a God of such abundance and such generosity and grace. At the other end of the spectrum is an orientation to money commonly called the prosperity mindset. I don't meet a lot of people with the poverty mindset, at least in our community. But I do meet people, and you do too, with the prosperity mindset. If you turn on your television to most religious broadcasting today, you will hear this particular mindset articulated very colorfully. Uh, The basic refrain of this mindset is that money is the rightful reward for working the program. Money is the rightful reward for working the program, whether it's God's program or, or, or capitalism's program or something, some other program. Money is the rightful reward belonging to those who work the program. Like the poverty mindset, it's not just religious people who hold this view. In a lot of ways, the prosperity approach is the Americanized gospel. And it's a very attractive mindset. In fact, it may be so attractive that we're in it and have never really examined it. I don't know. This view holds that your possessions are yours by right. They're yours by right. Why? Because my hard work and my ingenuity produce them. They're there by my right. I have a right to this money. I have a right to do all that I want to do with it. In the prosperity mindset, I work 
I work not just to meet basic needs. I work to become rich. I work to amass the capacities of wealth. My wealth is a sign that I'm good (laughs) because I've obviously worked harder or smarter than other people. And that's that's virtuous. It's evidence that I've I've done something right. Conversely, if you are poor, it is a sign that you have lacked the faith or the fortitude to become rich. In fact, in some of the prosperity gospel churches and preaching that you listen to, there's there's a real challenge <laughs> that if it's an evidence if you're if you're still struggling to make your ends meet, you're lacking in faith or fortitude or both. The assumption is that God or life itself exists to help me become rich if I play along with it. God or life wants to bless me with wealth. When I give money away in the prosperity mindset, it is definitely not out of a sense of obligation like those poverty-minded people. I don't give money away out of a sense of obligation. I give money away out of a sense of opportunity. As a prosperity person, I give out of, a, out of the opportunity to get a tax break. Out of the opportunity to, to get recognition from my peers. Out of the opportunity to get good feelings. I get great feelings from giving my money away. I, I, I give out of the opportunity to get God to give me more wealth. So I can keep doing these things. I don't guard. I don't hoard my money the way the poverty mindset people do. On the contrary, I am carefree and consumptive about my use of money. Now, if I want to believe that that life is essentially about going for the gold here and then getting more of it in that place where the streets are paved with the stuff, I I will find a basis for this in the Bible. Um, I'll find some support for this view. The Bible definitely underlines the importance of work, of hard, committed, disciplined work. Many of Jesus' parables are about working hard and investing carefully and managing cleverly and scrupulously. Uh, The Apostle Paul rails against the laziness mentality, the welfare mentality that just says, you know, people ought to just give to me without work. In his letter to the Thessalonian church, he says, for example, and I quote, we hear that some among you are idle and they are not busy. They're busy bodies. In other words, they're trying to make demands without making effort. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. You wonder where the Protestant work ethic, the basis for that, biblically speaking, comes from. this This is where you find it. The book of wisdom that we call Proverbs is jammed with all kinds of instruction about diligence and effort and the connection between these things and the acquisition of wealth and prosperity, uh, material resource. I quote Proverbs 10. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Later on, misfortune pursues the sinner, but prosperity is the reward of the righteous. The the poverty mindset, money is the root of all evil. 
the prosperity mindset, money is the righteous reward of those who work for it. Can you see how the gospel, both of these gospels get their footing uh, from the Bible? There are passages in the Bible that can make wealth seem like a God-ordained goal of life. There are passages in the Bible that can make God seem like some kind of cosmic ATM. You just know the code, you punch in the right buttons through hard work, and he'll dispense cash in your direction. But God's view of money and its use is actually quite a bit more sophisticated than either one of these views. And frankly, a lot more exciting, a lot more interesting, and ultimately meaningful. When you consider the Bible, not selectively, but as a whole, when you look at the whole counsel of Scripture, what emerges is the call to view and to manage money by what can be called a stewardship mindset. A stewardship mindset. And we're going to be unpacking this mindset in detail, much greater depth over these weeks to come. But here's the big idea. Money is not the root of all evil. That's not the dominant idea there. Uh, Money is not the righteous reward. That's not the dominant idea. The dominant idea in the stewardship mindset is that money is a wonderful trust. A wonderful trust. The Bible teaches that money is definitely not evil. It is not evil. It is morally neutral. Money is morally, like any of the other things God creates, morally neutral at the start. It's how it gets used that determines its moral character. Money is also, and this is really going to be hard, so tune into this part, money is not ours by right, even if we've worked to it. This is the most politically incorrect statement in America and in most churches. It is not ours by right, even if we've worked for it. The earth, the scripture says, is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God owns it all. I want you to imagine that I walk into your house this afternoon. I get the key, I come in, I walk in, I look around, and I think, oh, I got stuff to work with here. I go over to the drawers, I pull out the drawers, I take out a table table, uh, place setting. I go over there and I find some wonderful silver, I set the table beautifully. I got some beautiful candlesticks, you had them over here, I put them over here. I light the candles, I walk over to the refrigerator, I open the doors, wow, beautifully stocked. Beautifully stocked. And I start going through the drawers, and I notice you've some gra- there's all kinds of great food here. I take the food out. I take it over. I whip it up. I make a magnificent meal. I take it over. I lay it down on the table. I sit down at the table. I enjoy this phenomenal meal. It's fabulous. I take it. I push back from the table. I rub my belly, and I say, ha, mine, all mine. I worked for it all. I worked for this all. What would you say to me if you walked in just as I was saying it? What would you say to me? What would you call me?
Stupid. Stupid. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You may say my power and this strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but it is God who gives you the ability to produce, who stock the drawers and the refrigerator and the house. It's God. He owned it at the beginning. He's going to take it back at the end. And in between, it's a wonderful trust. And, and it's our responsibility to use the possessions entrusted to us as, widely, as wisely as we can. We work as a responsibility. We work with money as a responsibility, out of a sense of responsibility. Uh, we want to use it wisely. And by wisely, the Bible means in accordance with the master's interests. In accordance with the master's interests. Now, I, I want to just, I've got to underline this because I know this is where people start seizing up again. You are one of his interests, okay? You, your family, the welfare of uh, people, this is a big interest for God, right? I mean, remember, this is the one who's the, the, the father in the story of the, the, of the prodigals, remember? This is, you know how good the heart of God is. This is the one who pours out his blood to bless and to save life. You're one of his interests. So you don't need to be afraid of working responsibly with money according to his interests. God is interested in your survival, in more than your basic needs. He may choose to enable you actually to become rich uh, over time. But whether you've got one talent or ten talents, the goal of your work, the goal of your work is to serve Christ. That's the goal. In God's eyes, whether you're wealthy or you're poor in monetary terms, says nothing about you, morally speaking. It's neutral. Wealth, as I said, it's, it's neutral. Welfare or poverty. Uh, God measures goodness not in terms of material quantity, but in terms of spiritual character. He likes to entrust more resources to people who are faithful in the exercise of character uh, and resource. He asks me, Dan, are you being faithful in investing what I've given you? Are you proving trustworthy in your management? of that brain and that set of skills and that collection of opportunities with which I have endowed you. And the stewardship mindset is also about the motivation behind whatever money we give away. A steward doesn't give because he should. A steward doesn't give because she must. She doesn't give in order to get. Though giving or getting is often a byproduct of using things in God's interests. A steward gives primarily because she or he loves. Loves God. Loves people. More than excess stuff. And it just makes sense to give in light of that. Jesus once said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when God or you want to know what you really love, it's easy to tell. 
Just watch where the gold goes. That's going to tell you a lot about your heart. The final thing that distinguishes a stewardship orientation from the other approaches I've described to money is how a person goes about making spending decisions. The poverty person worries too much about overspending. They go through life with this kind of sphincter-clenched mentality. You know, should I do this, you know? Even if they've just, they're, they're prone to lavishness at times, they're just, there's just kind of this white-knuckled approach. You know, they're worried all the time about money. You know, and even those of us with a lot of it can sometimes get worried a lot about money. The prosperity person doesn't think enough about, this, uh, 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 about it, you know? I mean, they just, oh, you an opportunity. How many of you have ever made an impulse buy? Yeah. But stewards develop over time this capacity to be prayerful and careful about their use of money. And as we're going to see next week, this prayerfulness and carefulness opens up all kinds of wonderful freedoms and all kinds of fresh possibilities worth going after. So what I want to ask you in closing today is, is which of these mindsets characterize you? And if you go to our website, you'll find these things all spelled out for you. Just click on the Money Matters icon, and we've got it all there for you. But which of these three mindsets seems to be the place you live in most of the time? Which ones do you kind of stray towards? And maybe more importantly, second question, which of these orientations to money do you want? Because if you don't desire something enough to open yourself for it, to lean towards it, it ain't coming to get you. Which of these mindsets or orientations do you want? These are important questions because money matters. And we'll talk more about those matters as we continue that adventure next week. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we thank you for oh, this amazing earth that you've given us. For, for the glory of this material world. For the sights and sounds and tastes and pleasures. For the capacity to to clothe and shelter and feed, to heal and to help and to make art and to delight one another. Oh, God, thank you for the goodness of the gifts, the wonderful trust that you have given to us. We just ask for wisdom. We, we pray for the capacity to work well with money. And so... We anticipate with some excitement this journey we're going to go on in these weeks to come and pray that you will impress upon us those particular principles and practices that can be helpful to us in, in the exercise of this glorious capacity you've given us. 
So guide us, we pray. Even impress deeply within us whatever we especially needed to hear this morning. But we long to fulfill the purpose for which we've been made to glorify you and to be a blessing to others. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.